Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Well, welcome to this week's Aging Fearlessly program with Karen Sander. I have a fabulous guest today that has actually come down from Cairns to speak with us. His name's Dean Hawkins, and this year he wrote a book called Fight Fire with Fire, and I want to explore a little bit about his book today and how that can help my Aging Fearlessly listeners in the journey of life. So welcome, Dean. Karen, thank you very much for having me. Terry Hills uh, World, thank you for listening out for me. And we're right next door to the fire station there, and you have a lot to do with fire. Ironically. Ironically. So today, I did actually bring a copy of your book along, but I can't show it to the listeners anyway, but it is in the boot of my car. Well, I've got one that I'm waving around. Oh, have you? Uh, hopefully the listeners can see it. I did meet you a few months ago, maybe how long ago now? Oh, gosh, Karen, it feels like we've been friends forever now. It's fantastic to sort of get together and actually spend the, the time that we're doing right now. I met you at a speaker course in Sydney where we were learning the art of public speaking and I learned a little bit about you on that particular day so can you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Well on the course as you know we were asked to stand up and actually uh, share with the group um, why we're here and where we come from. Um, what I said that day was I've been in the fire service since 20 years old it's, it's in my blood in my DNA. It's all I know. And that's what I thought up until the day I wrote my book and then started speaking about the book rather than speaking about fire and rescue. And uh, I um, excitingly realised that uh, I have so much more to say um, outside of uniform. Did you ever think you'd actually write a book from being a firefighter? And I want you to tell us a little bit about your firefighting career, but from being a firefighter to an author. No. Did I think that I would become an author? No. Did I think I'd ever leave the fire service? Not at all. It, it, it was everything that it made, met all my expectations. I went from 26 years uh, before I was a recruit in the training centre for three months, uh, learning my trade. 26 years later, I was a senior instructor in that very same training centre. So I loved it. Um, I enjoyed all the years being on shift and, and serving the community. I um, then enjoyed turning civilians into firefighters and firefighters into fire officers when I was in the training centre. But to answer your question, you know, did I ever think I'd be an author? Gosh, no. So, well, you really went full circle from starting as a, a junior firefighter to training and seeing seeing it from the other side um, as a trainer and not just a learner, learning the skills of being a firefighter, which is, um, it is an incredible career being a firefighter and a very dangerous one. And I guess you're teaching them all about safety and how to fight a fire. That, that's true. That's, that's that's very true. That's why the transition to writing the book was relatively easy for me because I used the structure on creating a firefighter in three months. It takes us three months to actually put one together, all the different parts that we use. And here's one I prepared, I earlier. prepared earlier. Yeah. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. So I took that um, trialed and tested and proven approach that uh, to, to create a recruit 
from a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker into a firefighter. Also, the approaches that we use day to day on a fire station, I took all those concepts and I wrote and translated those concepts into a day to day routine. You know, mm. on someone that wants to lose weight or give up smoking or change their job or they want to study or get fit or swim in the beaches swim team. Oh, you don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. I come from far north Queensland. I get cold looking at that surf right now. Um, I want to go back a little bit because, and before we talk about your book, you had um, a very um, interesting upbringing. Uh, you lived in the Northern Territory. I'd like to know more about that. Uh, listeners, I'm on your team. Sydney-born, New South Wales country until I was eight years old. And then I did all my schooling in the Northern Territory. Uh, I now live in Cairns, North Queensland. So when State of Origin comes around, I get very confused. I'm going to wait until the Northern Territory gets a team in and I'll, I'll uh, follow them. That sounds like a fair thing. Do you think that'll ever happen? Uh, it's not in my lifetime. <laughs> not in your I can't lifetime. I can't see us getting invited to it. So I had a very colourful upbringing, that's for sure. And I think everything about my upbringing uh, helped create who I am today. And I wouldn't change any of it despite some of the pain and 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 um difference that i had you know because i didn't have a dad um my mother uh, had died of cancer by the time i was 12 um but each one of these experiences i actually made sure that uh, i was beyond that um, um situation i wanted more than what i was currently getting served i didn't want more than anyone else i just wanted my fair share when i was young but as i aged i realized that uh, no i can have more i've just got to work towards it and stop expecting it to be served up on a silver platter and i understood the value of actually digging in and doing some of the hard yards the the, the value of actually trying to understand more about myself because i think self-awareness is the, the first point of um getting fit or getting a better job self-awareness is number one point and my self-awareness was kicking in very early uh uh, very early age because without that um, uh, epiphany moment you can't move forward it, it, you're denying every part of your inner thinking you've got to recognize that self-awareness and then move forward and that's what I did as every time I was in a situation I was far I always wanted more and realized the sacrifices required so this um, this uh, young man that uh, graduated from Alice Springs High School. And I often laugh about that experience, Karen, because uh, five years in grade eight, they finally gave me a, a high school certificate and said, you're dragging down our average. Can you please leave if we give you one? That's a brilliant story because I know that you're doing amazing things these days. And actually some of the, the most wealthy and talented people I know have had to leave school or wanted to leave school at 15. And they've been incredibly successful I, I want to share what my father used to say about the school that I went to. And I won't mention the name of the school, but it was in the southern suburbs of Sydney and it was near a jail. And he used to say it was a co-ed school. And he used to say it was the finishing school for young ladies. Once you've been there, you were finished. So we used to laugh about it all the time because I did go on to become a teacher and my sister is a very intelligent woman. So we were lucky to, to get a good education, but I love the way he talked about the school that we went to because it was quite an underprivileged school. And it was a, a state school, a very sporting school, but and I absolutely loved it. Dean, well, I'm sure, Dean, that you're going to tell me that that's not your sort of song. It's not important whether it's mine or not. If you enjoyed it, Karen, I'm happy. Look, um, I I love music in general, but I don't I don't have a particular style that I really like. Maybe jazz I favour a little bit more. Um, 
But anyway, let's get down to talking about, you mentioned something before about self-awareness. It's never too late to have a self-awareness, your own epiphany that hits you to sort of say, well, look, everywhere I go, there's problems. And everywhere I go, I bump into the wrong people or things go wrong. The, co- the common denominator in all those situations is you. Simply, Uh you know, the person that's involved is you. So it's about actually sort of looking at it and saying, do I attract it or am I I looking for it? I need to focus on what I want and not what I don't want. And often I will say, Karen, people need to put together want lists, not wish lists. And the big difference is, is a want list is something that you're willing to actually sacrifice. And part of that sacrifice is self-awareness to say, what do I need to know? What do I need to read? Who do I need to connect with? Good podcasters, good radio announcers, reading the right books. These things are all actually a part of you admitting to yourself, I need change. Uh, these, these are really important things. That a, wish, a wish list, on the other hand, compared to a want list, people will wish for it and, and a leprechaun riding a unicorn will fly into the room and actually grant that doesn't happen well you mentioned before the silver platter and a wish list really is wanting it to be delivered to you in a silver platter and we know that anything worth doing is not going to be delivered on a silver platter that's that's you know that's obvious we're we're having a conversation that uh, every listener out there actually is saying yes i know this why are you stating the obvious the reason why i state the obvious is because until you actually make that change uh you, you make it happen you, you, you force things a, a good example of forcing something we all have heard the saying about um on the average of the five people i spend my time with you spend your time with i've taken that a step further and actually forced that issue so in other words if i have a bad experience when we walk out of the studio and someone's angry about something or someone's racist about whatever or yelling and they're not happy that it's that's someone that's actually impacted on how i feel about me the world at that moment what i'll do is i deliberately get in the car and perhaps i'll ring you or someone uh, karen to offset that person so i don't let it my average for the day be a coincidence so now that person that was quite abusive or negative that i bumped into becomes one of my six people rather than one of my five so i I deliberately offset them with good experiences by Mm. ringing the right people so i have a self-awareness now that i uh, want to uh, force that issue about who actually engages me in a positive manner and actually brings me back to this wonderful um, mood, this centering moment that they can provide. You know, uh, you're in my circle of friends. We talk every now and again by phone. Take that as a compliment, Karen, because I make you part of my average for that mm. day. So I don't. I think Jim, when he used the saying, you know, you are the average of the uh, five people you spend your time with. I think he meant like, you know, um, you know, uh, generally. I've mm. taken it literally daily you know i i come across people sometimes in my workplace and well everywhere really not just my workplace but they are very negative about things and they're you know we we often refer to them as the victim because nothing is ever right in their world and i think it's really sad to be living life like that because there is so much joy in the world there's you know there's times when there's other things other than joy but really looking for those joyful moments and 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 focusing on I guess it's the things, not your wish list, but what you really want and setting the goals towards those things is the important thing. And often the victim is just, well, waiting for the silver platter or something to come along to change their lives. And that's not going to happen. It just doesn't happen and nothing changes. 
nothing changes at all. Force the change. You know, um, hang with the right people, read the right books. Um, if you're reading about, um, you know, uh, the wars and you're, you're, you're absorbing all this negativity, it's going to actually affect you. So I'm suggesting the other, uh, the other way. I'm not running. I'm not running around uh, professing that we need to hug dolphins and trees all day. But I am saying you are the common denominator. So you, you need to force it and understand your self-awareness, your actions, your behaviours and who you hang with has massive influence on what comes back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't sit in that, as you put it, the victim mentality or, you know, where you, the handout, the silver platter, whatever you're waiting for, it just doesn't happen. So it's a, it's a matter of actually um, stepping up. And, uh, and I, I've learnt that in, in my lifetime. Um, um, we talked about... Uh, the bad times. You mentioned that just a moment ago. People go through, you know, these uh, you know, bad things do happen, you know, unfortunately. But that's an opportunity for you to actually, you know, the world doesn't change and our family doesn't change through our words, Karen. The world and our family and ourselves change through our actions. Showing people that you can go through that pain, you can go through the hurt, you can go through bad times. You build on those, you come back and you be that perfect example of, of recovery. Because when you've, you are the example, I think it's really important that you tell your story so other people out there can actually say i can get through this i can actually be far more than my current consequence i think those times that you're talking about they're they're the character building moment they're the moments that build the build the the self that you are and give you the resilience for moving forward and and do you agree that when you do move forward it it should be your responsibility to share your story i'm not Mm. talking about going out there and say poor poor bugger me talking about going out there and saying being that wonderful example that people are possibly going through that very situation that you went through by you sharing that story the importance of sharing that story means people can actually change their consequence they don't have to sit in that space and i'm going to just because we i want to cut to another song in a minute but that's particularly for me um true for mental health issues because i am very aware that mental health issues when i was in my teens 20s 30s was my mother used to say please don't ever mention that you are anxious or that you're having anxious moments panic attacks because if people find out they won't employ you or and it's such an it it actually makes the situation worse because you panic more because someone might find out this secret about you it becomes a secret and that's not healthy itself when you're saying about sharing your story let other people know that you've been through this and there is a way out you're not in a in a trap forever there is a way out there are people out there who can make positive differences and help you out dean that's the first time i've ever listened to katie baker and i enjoyed that song i like it's a pretty jazzy really yeah i mean if you like jazz i think you enjoy katie that's for sure well, do you, oh, look, fight fire with fire. Now, I've written, I've written, I read your book. I didn't write it. Um, tell me about it. It's not another self-help book. No, fight fire and fire is. Um, it, it's a different one on the shelf. I mean, the shelves are heaving with these things. I mean, every month there's someone coming out with a new self-help book, and you know, how can they all be right if they're all writing different ways? What I did was I wrote a book about actually, literally, self-help. Not, and I mean this nicely, with no disrespect to anyone else, but not. Tony Robbins helping you, you helping yourself, okay? So your changes, you're, you, you need to be aware, we went going back to that again, what you want to change about you, not wish, want. Remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> remember the unicorn? Yep. <laughs> okay, so I've now given you a structure and I've given you a 250-year 
proven structure, and that is the fire department's way. So we leave nothing to chance. Right from the day you walk in on your first day on your recruit course, right until the day you leave when you retire, we have structure built around you. We do not leave it to chance. I mean, can you imagine, Karen, you, me, and two of the listeners out there actually turning up to a house fire in our fire, and I look at you as the officer in charge and say, well, I've got no idea. What do you think? Yep. Well, I'd be opting to stand outside, but you said something to me about why does a fireman run into a fire when everybody else is running out? That was when I first met you. That's right. Why does a firefighter run in when everyone else runs out, plus your common sense tells you to run out? Simple as that, because we're ready, because we're prepared. And we know what we're doing when we go in there. And that's what our preparation is all about in your fire service. And that's what I wrote about in my book. If you want to lose weight, you want to give up smoking, regardless of age, if you want to study, change your job, then you need to get some structure around it. Sound, proven structure. Mm-hmm. starts with preparation and then it moves into doing and then it talks about reviewing post. That's what we do. So if we go back to that house fire and I jump out of the vehicle and I say to you, Karen, I want one line of hose, two lengths joined together, put a branch at the front door, make sure you don and start up a breathing apparatus. So much more reassuring for you when I have prepared well knowing exactly what to say. True. As as uh, reassuring for me when I know that you've trained in all those um, instructions I just gave you. So it's about actually being ready. Uh-huh. And I write, I write about that. So if we talk about getting ready for a person that wants to lose weight, um, I say prepare for the battle, don't avoid the battle. Uh-huh. So I have a lot of friends that want to lose weight and they choose these uh, audacious diets or they avoid the righteous fight. Um, we, we're going to go to dinner on Friday night. I say, Karen, are you coming along? And you say, no, I'm actually sort of on my grapefruit diet or whatever it is. And you don't come. And I say, no, 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 no. You've got to come, Karen, because you've got to actually take part in the world. Can't hide from the fight. I would suggest you come along, but you prepare. You understand through good reading and learning off the right people, the right choices when you go to the restaurant as compared to the bad choices. And that to me is preparing for the righteous fight. And I'm just want to make a little quote about the diet. Excuse me, clearing my voice. I was once told that the word diet is die with a T. So it's just a funny little thing, but you know, it is really about having a way. Like what you're saying about is not necessarily diet, but plan how you're going to eat that day. And it doesn't even have to involve the word diet, but it's, you can go there you're trying to lose weight. What are you going to eat when you're at that restaurant? A structure around it, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And the word diet means actually select food well. Mm-hmm. It does mean go without. Yeah. It does mean, you know, some crazy decision to, to around it. it. It just means select your food appropriately. And that's what I encourage my friends. So when you actually fight that glorious fight, everyone at that table that knows that you're actually on this regime, well, we rejoice you and your successes in, in, in all its glory because you took the fight on, you didn't hide from it. And, it. and you can only take it on. You only do battle with fire or food or cigarette addiction, whatever it is through good preparation understanding your bad choices in the past most fire service uh, standard operating procedures can be based off bad decisions in the past and what we do is actually figure out where we went wrong we make our adjustments we train the new way and then when we go to that job next time we get it right and it sounds that you know it's obviously very positive and, and looking back at, and reflecting on where things you know didn't work and 
and making adjustments and improving in all our life journey. We should be looking and understanding where things may not have worked and adjust and understanding also where things have worked, but also improve on those things. Very good point. Thomas Edison, 99 light bulbs, it didn't work. Yep, exactly. Another song here, oh, In Excess. Do you actually like In Excess? I do. Seeing you're not a Northern Beaches man, here's a bit of trivia. Michael Hutchins went to Davidson High, which is not far down the road, and all the other In Excess boys went to Forest High, which is in the next suburb. And they're about as Aussie as you can get, and they're survivors, aren't they? I love love what they've achieved, where they come from, and keep reinventing themselves to stay in the game. Fantastic. Yeah, they're brilliant. How you... How did you come to write this? It's a very cool question, actually. How did I come about to write the book? Basically wanted to, I started realizing I had a bit of a flair for topping up my friends. And now the book was between the coffee shop, the the, the brainchild of right was between the coffee shop and home. So I was sitting in the coffee shop with my two friends. We met once a a month and uh, one is always complaining about not enough money and and doesn't have a, a job that he's happy with. And the other one is close to morbidly obese and is constantly talking about food and his training regime. And I sort of realized going home that this knowledge and the structure that the fire department gave me, I can actually try and share this with my friends, but change putting out fires to losing one to getting a better job, to studying, to saving your money, to go on holiday. You know, if uh, if you're a, a one-pack-a-day smoker and uh, I, I've written a standard operating procedure on how to give it up and in three years you'll have $21,000 so you can go for a European holiday. Wow, is someone going to give me $21,000? Find yourself a pack-a-day smoker and tell them to give you the money they spend and give up the cigarettes. Oh, my God. And you $21,000 in how many years? Three years. Oh. Uh, I've worked out that if you buy a pack a day, um, it's going to cost you about 7300 because uh, it goes up in tax uh, in 2017 again. And in three years, you'll have $21,000 to go on a European holiday. Now, don't worry about the, uh, the health benefits and the value that you'll be around your family much mm. longer and the grandkids get to see the grandparent, you know. But uh, no, it, it, that was the brainchild at that moment. And then I spent 20 days deciding whether I was going to do this or not. And in that 20 days, I also decided how. So it was really important that I do why, how, and then what am I doing here? 20 days. And then when I actually decided to actually write the book, day one, I set myself 90 days. Write this book in 90 days. No point in actually embarking on a journey and not knowing where you're going or why you're on the journey. So I set that 90 days. So I worked my day job. But in the first 20 days in preparation, I actually did a lot of research, uh, sleep patterns. And we can function fine on five hours sleep. Karen, let me tell you something about one of the things that drops out. The most successful people in the world have one habit. They get up early. Mm. Simple as that. They get up early and they achieve so much more in the day than the next person. Yes, there's all these characteristics that they have, but that is the one most common behavior around all of them. So I slept for five hours a day did my day job, came home, trained hard, had dinner with the family, wrote until 12 o'clock, went to sleep, woke up at five, kicked off for two hours doing my uh, book again, 90 days, and I had the book out. And it's the best thing I ever did, not so much for the value around the book, but the value that actually setting myself that, you know, that thing, and then actually achieving it. What that did for me personally can far outweigh anything financially the book can do this is what i encourage people to do you've got to actually just like when you're going to make a change you gotta know what you're giving up 
because you don't suddenly get more time in the day because you want to be a writer. It doesn't like if um, you know you're over fifty, then write a book, tell your story. You've got these experiences and these wonderful emotions, and you've got these uh, this education, and you've got your thing that you should ch- share with the world. Well. I've often talked about this that many people say that they are going to write a book one day, but very, very few people do. And like you, I wrote a book, which is the title is Aging Fearlessly, the same as this radio program. And I set myself a challenge or someone set me a challenge actually of 30,000 words in 30 days. And it was really literally a brain dump. And don't read back what you're writing. Yes, you had a structure which took me three or four weeks to write and then 30 days of writing. Then, of course, it came a little bit after, like yourself. But by 90 days, I sort of decided on a cover, a publisher, you know, how I was going to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And things fell into place. And yes, the planning's so important. I have another song here, Buffalo Soldier. Do you know who sang Buffalo Soldier. I'm trying to test you here. <laughs> I think uh, uh, a, a chuckle. A, a guy from um, Terry Hills. What was his name, Bob Marley? Yeah. Was he from Terry Hills? I don't know. The experience of writing, what did you learn on that journey? I think um, the, the, the number one point of being learning from the journey would be um, I'd ask every one of your listeners to actually look in the mirror and actually ask themselves the same question. What have they learned on their journey? They must share with everyone else i'm not asking them to think about it i'm saying you must it's like a responsibility we're the elders of our community and we're constantly pointing the finger at people that aren't getting it right more often than not they're younger than us if people want to talk about the king hit the drug problem the alcohol problem in this country and i shouldn't call it the king hit i apologize the coward's punch we have a responsibility to actually share our journey with them and actually guide them out of the darkness now i know that we sit back and say they don't want to hear it then say it again and you keep saying it until they actually absorb some of it they may not look you in the eye and say and thank you for it but we must stop lecturing stop pointing the finger and we must guide people out of the darkness the youth of this country this is our friends this is our colleagues and this is our peers every one of us has had a unique journey every one of us Mm, all i did was document mine fight fire with fire it was so so much to document that i actually structured started putting together book two and book three at the same time because I wanted to share so much more but those were different um, points to my journey you know book one fight fire with fire is about how to operate with purpose and achieve goals book two that's still yet to hit the shelves it's forged by fire and it's about leadership it's about our generation leading people Mm -hmm. we're leaders of our community we're leaders in our household we've got to make sure we step up we really need to step up as a nation in leadership i know reading your book if you look at my copy it has pink highlighter all through it i'm horrified when i look at it because i don't really believe in writing all over books but when i find a book and i'm learning a lot while i'm reading it and i don't want to go and read the book again i haven't got time to read it again i like to now get the old highlighter out and make sure that I've marked the most important pieces to me. You know, I took a lot away from your actual book and I read it fairly quickly and I really, you know, that highlighter came out an awful lot, Dean. Well, the highlighter is a great idea. I actually encourage people to write in my book. Deface my book. It's a journal. It's about, I always encourage people to actually say, there's two things that I say before you even open page one, uh, and that is have a personal and a professional, even if you're retired, it's still a professional thing that you want to change. And then 
it will resonate in those two places. It mm-hmm. will, and, and that's what your highlight is all about. Deface the book, I say. You know, um, I, I wrote a book where I'm not lecturing people. I actually wrote a book where I'm trying to have a conversation with you, not at you. Mm-hmm. I'm not broadcasting, and I certainly don't have all the answers. What I have is experiences that I think, Mm. and the fire department gave me a wonderful structure. 1983, Karen, I was actually running into burning buildings without a breathing apparatus, and I was encouraged to actually eat smoke just to prove how good I was to the elders. These days, unheard of. Yeah, I'm sure. So all those years ago and all those years have come together where I understand the structure Mm. and I understand the application of those structures across various aspects of our life. Mm. I think sometimes retirees and the over 50s, we're looking for ways to change our lives. Um, and you you do offer some great suggestions in planning because planning for retirement, again, is very important as well. Knowing the direction you're heading in and knowing that you are building, you know, a successful future for yourself. And I mean successful socially, in education, in meeting new people in experiencing new experiences in this world and they all take planning. They definitely take effort. I'd like to... Welcome back. You're listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen on 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Dean, We talked about quotes before you came here today and there's one you chose to speak about, Martin Luther King Jr. It's not the words of my enemies that resound in my memory, but the silence of my friends. Yeah, it resonates with me in in many levels. But simply, I I believe that we need to speak up and I don't mean speak up as in, you know, uh, argue. I mean, when there's a wrongdoing going down, be brave enough to uh, stand up and say, you know, I don't agree. And I'm not suggesting this new age thing where, you know, everyone's offended by this and offended by that. I'm, I, when I say stand up, I don't mean, because quite simply, if you're offended by what someone says, in my book, offense is something you choose to actually, that's your takeaway. It's not a disease. It's not an injury. It's a choice. When I say stand up, I mean, when people are doing wrong, that's it, stand up. Yeah. And we do have choices. We have choices in absolutely everything we do. No one forces it. We personally have a choice. Agreed. And uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. put it really well. It's a, uh, it's a memory of people not saying something rather than the words that were said. Advice. I love to talk about and find out what is the best advice you've been given. And there are two things that you've shared with me today. And the first one is don't write, speak or present to your peers or critics. If you do, you won't stand for anything or say anything worthwhile. Okay, quite simply, one word, politician. Are they for it or are they against it? When they're asked the question, they cannot answer the question. Quite quite simply, they don't say anything. So when I write or when I have something to say, I don't actually try and keep my peers happy by telling them what they want to hear, and I don't write or say anything in fear of my critics actually saying I don't agree. If they don't agree, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm simply okay with it because I'm giving an opinion and it's getting rare out there for people to have an opinion in fear of, here's that word again, offending others. Nothing I say is intended to cause offence. It is my opinion based off my life set skills, my education, my experiences, the people I hang with, the books I read, 
but I dare to have an opinion. Mm -hmm. And my opinion is not rude. I don't uh, deliberately offend. And at times, yes, I may stand corrected. And, you know, that's part of being um, a human. We have to stand to be corrected. You know, you have to be able to cope with correction and, and criticism. It's just part of who we are and part of nature. There's a second one here. Get your 360 degree view. Correct. So that one there I learned off the fire service. So we don't make a full decision on committing to an incident regardless of what it is. Um, a vehicle uh, incident, a house fire, a large multi-story building, bushfire, hazmat. We don't make the full decision on how we're going to handle it until we get a 360 degree physically and actually understand everything that's involved. Then we make our decision. I think that goes for a lot of things even if we're listening to there's always two sides to a story there's always more than one point of view agreed agreed and and you can turn around so be quite simply that i understand what you're saying i'm absorbing what you're saying i just don't completely agree with it dean you have um some amazing advice in your book if anyone wants to ask you a question outside this interview how do they find you i welcome I welcome the Terry Hills people to actually contact me uh, personally, email me. It's uh, dino at deanhawkins.com. They can ring me. They can contact me on Facebook. In fact, Surrey Hills, if you contact me, I will actually, uh, I'll put a lovely gift back to you. Call in, say hello. So the other thing is, um, it's just not Terry Hills. This is the whole of the Northern Beaches. Are you prepared for that? Oh, the Northern Beaches. I can do this. I can you don't do this. like the beach. <laughs> I don't Listen, I don't dislike the beach. I just don't go to the beach. Oh, he told me lots of things. He doesn't even put his toe in the water. Well, Karen, just cut you off there for one moment. You put your toe in the water where I come from, a crocodile takes it off. Oh, okay. Fair enough. You keep your toes out of the water. So, look, I can't believe where time has gone today. And so we, we are going to have to wrap up. This is Karen Sander. And if you have someone who on the Northern Beaches who has an amazing story about aging fearlessly, for our listeners, then please contact me me on my Facebook page, which is Aging Fearlessly, or you can contact me via Karen Sander. Thank you so much for listening today. And as the end of every show, there's a beautiful song here written by a friend of mine who is a local Northern Beaches man. His name is Nick Howard. So until next week, uh, cheerio, enjoy your week, have a safe week. And thanks, Dean, for coming and joining us all the way from Cam. Thank you very much, Karen. Uh, thank you, Northern Beaches, for listening in. And remember, I'm always the firefighter, even though I'm an author. If you're cooking, keep looking. <laughs> okay, cheerio. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember... Aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice.